famed author Clive Cussler. The hero Dirk Pitt. Save a big chested native girl for me. The fish, he replied, it's for firming up the bosom. Speaking as a man, I do not approve of rock hard boobs. Let no woman accuse Dirk Pitt of discrimination. Vixen 03, Episode 1, Pain or Grease Monkey. Uh, I am good. It was a long week. I didn't get any sleep. Oh, why? Birthday celebration whole week, hopefully? There's the cat. <laughs> no. Oh, that's a cat. That's I'm, I'm, tr- I'm pretty yep. certain. My cat wants to live on my keyboard. Uh, for my birthday, I got to make dinner and watch the kids do dishes. That's about it. Uh, my wife got me this cool wooden bowl. Which is made out of two by fours because in one case. Two by four. Oh, yes. Sorry. One two by four. Because in case it wasn't mentioned clearly enough on our previous episode, she likes trees and wood. It's currently holding my microphone. Cool. I just, I tried to set up a. Amazon had sent me this microphone holder for ah. podcast purposes, and I can't set it up because it's Amazon. <laughs> and the products they send me are fantastic. Oh, man. You're getting fancy. You're getting a podcast microphone holder. Oh, yeah. I, I, they just send me the stuff. I don't pay for it, so I'll take it. Oh, outstanding. What's new with you? My husband and I send it for welding classes. We're going to learn to weld. I thought I misheard that, but nope, that was very clear the second time. Welding, that's a pretty cool couples thing. Yeah, MIG <laughs> welding. I am very excited about this. The, my only apprehension is like other couples, like are they, some p- people have contentious marriages and I don't want to get dragged, I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> Is this going to be you two each get like super competitive into welding and being like the better welder than the other person? Or are you worried that you're going to get like uh, welded to the bed one night? I'm worried night? somebody's going to have a fight behind me. Tina and Tony behind me might like bring up, you know, something that happened at their wedding and, you know, you got drunk and there's torches <laughs> and suddenly my kids are orphans. <laughs> and someone's going to get flux welded. <laughs> yeah. Jay and I just, we have no idea what we're doing. We just want to go and learn the skill. It'll take us a while to get competitive and acrimonious, but that's what marriage is all about. You have to work on it. <laughs> I was going to say the last thing we did uh, as a couple's thing was cheese making, but then I remembered we kept meaning to sign up for the couple's cheese making thing and we never actually did. We keep signing up for a dumpling making class, but they never get enough other people. I know it's dumplings from around the world at the local college. 60 bucks for four months. Holy shit. Why is this class not full? That would be dangerous if I learned that. I would get fat again. <laughs> wow. You see, you just do it like me. You stay fat. Oh. <laughs> Way ahead of you. It's only noon here, but I'm getting my drink out. Congratulations. It happens so ways. I'm enjoying sobriety. It's great. Love it. I know. Sorry. I'll... <laughs> it's fine. I just do that I'll to put you on the spot. I'll stop cracking these on the recording. No, I just do that to put you on the spot because I'm just a terrible person. I'm, I'm sorry you had a long week, but the bowl is cool. Cool. Yeah. Made out of one... T- is it an entire two by four? Uh, no, it, it's like a two by four that was cut into a thousand tiny pieces, and the whole thing was glued together in like a like a puzzle pattern. Oh, it's neat. It looks very cool. He held it on the other side. It was too close to the window, so I couldn't see the detail. But when you, just now I saw the detail, that's very nice. I was thinking of like a Bugs Bunny making a toothpick 
You got a two by four. <laughs> the same thing with the Simpsons on uh, the episode where Homer works at the bowling alley and they just turned one tree into one bowling pin. Oh yeah. That was that could be a send up to Mel Blank. <laughs> Probably. Oh, and what did I learn? I learned that Bugs Bunny was based on Cary Grant this week. The Cary is supposed to be a cigar. Huh. I can see that, I guess. I really don't know much Cary Grant stuff. He said in a movie, What's Up Doc? So the cartoon bunny was all cultural references uh, to modern day things. I love that stuff. I love that stuff that gets lost in history, like the granular, but what were they eating on the Titanic? You know, like that kind of thing. And it was parlance of the day. Everybody knew that was Cary Grant, but those people are all dead. <laughs> Speaking of what they were eating on the Titanic, did you see that thing this week about the items for sale from the Titanic? Uh, no, I saw culinary history of celery and it included a great chunk of a Titanic, and it felt like a curse I couldn't get away from. <laughs> well, this week, a whole bunch of items uh, from the Titanic are going on sale at some auction or other, and one of them is the menu from the night that the Titanic uh, hit the iceberg. Oh, my God. That's why it was in the news. Yeah. <laughs> There's like cream of celery. There's a history of celery that's very complicated, and celery was <laughs> very fancy. The fanciest vegetable. Well, celery and linoleum, they were really living it up. <laughs> oh, my. Can you hear me? My thing turned orange. Yep. Uh, oh, uh, hmm. nope. Now you're offline. Evil cable company is called Optimum, and they are not Optimum. <laughs> I think we pay for all of the megabytes or the gigawatts or the. We pay for the big tunnel <laughs> of internet to come right to our door, and they give us a little straw of internet. That sounds about right. Should we get to the intro then before this breaks again? Oh my god, yes. I did it last time. Your turn. Welcome to Custler Hustlers, the only Clive Custler podcast that does not have jury duty this month. Yes, and that was your... I almost had jury duty. Now I don't. Congratulations. How did, wait, how'd you get out of it? Did you do something nefarious? A few days before I was supposed to go there for jury selection, I got a whole bunch of emails that were like, don't come for jury selection. There's no jury selection. This trial has been canceled. Don't come to the courthouse. I'm like, okay. Hey, you with a functioning society. That one trial <laughs> that was planned is canceled, and then they're just out of crime? Yep, no more crime. Good on you guys for solving that. <laughs> anyway, that's Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Nancy. And no one can see her, but this is Lily, who is going to live on my lap for this entire podcast. She, Lily is the most malevolent-looking cat. <laughs> She's got maps of Europe under her bed. I'm, I'm certain <laughs> of it. She's old. She's like 12, and she's grumpy, and she eats plants. And she's just skin and bones. But boy, howdy, me working at home during the week uh, has created this horrible system where she lives on my lap whenever I'm at this desk. And if I leave, she claws me. Well, that is the cat prerogative. That's all very in line with cats. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely allergic to them now. But when we were first married, my husband took his childhood cat with him. So she was in her 20s when she moved in with us. Oof. And very zoftic very chubby cat that I tried to put her on a diet to prolong her life. And this, she was named Miss B. She was named Blyle. But uh, the only act of acrobatics or athleticism I've ever seen her do was, I believe the legal term is late in wait. She was on top of the fridge. when I went to get- Ambush predator. I went to get something in the middle of the night and she was on my face, her claws digging into the back of my skull. Oof. Hair, I lost hair. <laughs> there are still bumps. I could feel them. Wow. That cat either wanted you dead or was having a dream. I took her off the diet. She lived six more years. She was very angry with me for putting her on a diet. Oh. 
the, that was made clear. No more diet after that. She lived six more years to 26. So you got a lot of time with that cat. She's just middle-aged. Or he, Louis. Lily. Lily, not Louis. Middle-aged and she just and she just bit me. Perfect. Because I was petting her wrong, I guess. I had a boss almost lose a leg because he went to his mistress's house and her cat bit him in the ankle. And then he didn't want to tell anyone because the wound was festering and he really got bit both bangs like right through the oh that just escalated like, it, it's on my foot i'm not going to look at it kind of a thing people are like a lot of people do this with diseases especially like diabetes like oh i'll just put a sock over it go about my day pretend it's not a problem <laughs> it happens a lot anyway i had a couple things to say at the start of this one i'm pretty sure we can get through this in five or six episodes because I am all the way through part one, so I'm through the prologue and ten chapters, and that really seems like a one-episode manageable chunk. Okay, I got to chapter eight, and then I uh, got angry, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you're on chapter eight, maybe five, maybe six episodes, but okay. we'll see how far we get. But this book isn't nearly as frantic as Race the Titanic. No, it's just a testament to how much Dirk wants to avoid intimacy. In relationships. <laughs> so he doesn't need it to be as frantic. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, for how many severely X-rated descriptions we get, he really just leaves the room whenever anything's about to happen. Yes, we'll get there. And for our listeners, <laughs> if there are any, because really, you people, if you're listening, I love you, but you're crazy. I found out today through Topper, he sent me a, a blurb, and we only converse in Custer content. So it has to be Custer related. Or Columbo. Clark Custer named his son Dirk. <laughs> yes. Son. It's not a real name. It's like the Finnish language. It's not real. It's imaginary. A human being walking around with the name Dirk seems like child abuse. <laughs> Especially because that child keeps writing these novels. Like he, he keeps writing the Pneumophiles and the Isaac Bell mysteries, which are basically Clive Custler. He was alive in the early 1900s. And there's an Isaac Bell... Clive Custler mystery that takes place on the Titanic. I feel like we were on the Titanic. Did we sink? <laughs> is this our afterlife? This is our punishment. <laughs> okay, so this opens, the book opens in 1954. I don't know when this book was written. Uh, 78? 78. So we're opening up in 54, and then we're going to jump ahead to 88. So we're back in the future again. Yeah, I think these point of view. I think these books all live slightly in the future from when they're written. So then Dirk can just make up whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, or he just like had a an open things were different in the seventies. I wasn't really human. I was two at most. <laughs> so maybe there was just like you get a, a copyright and they keep it open? Like a like a suitcase and then you close it when you want to and you have all your books in there. So everything is copyrighted for seventy eight. But we, we open up with Major Raymond Philander and yep. Admiral Bass. And Admiral Bass is giving Major Raymond some orders he does not like. And the chapter of this book is named Oblivion. Yes. Major Violander is in charge of a Stratocruiser cargo plane, the Boeing 377 Stratocruiser, which I looked up and it's kind of neat. It's based on the B-29 Superfortress. And I love the sentence that it was one of the most advanced, capable, and versatile heavy transports with famously poor reliability. Sounds like a Jaguar. Okay. <laughs> it was a whole bunch of, of amazing pieces put together badly and shit kept breaking just constantly with these things, which happens two pages later. 
it, that sounds like, oh, he was a wonderful husband. He only beat me most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very backhanded compliment of an airplane. Yeah, that is a backhanded compliment. Admiral Bass is telling Major Vylander he's got to take off. Vylander's like, uh, there's a blizzard out there. Zero visibility. Oh, yeah. We're in Colorado. Yes, we're in Colorado. It's a snowy state. It, I hear it's very expensive. I've never been. <laughs> so Admiral Bass is saying, you've got to take these canisters. I can't tell you what's in these canisters. Vylander's like, I got to know. Bass is like, no, you don't. T.S., get on, get on the runway. And this guy does. <laughs> he follows orders and takes this giant plane that's rickety into the into the darkness, into oblivion. Yeah, there's a, a long nerd out sequence about like how hard it is to take off, how heavy the cargo is. So they're talking about sheer torque, altitude, temperature, issues with uh, getting enough lift by the end of the runway. Just a lot of, uh, about to say naviation, aviation terms. I like naviation. I don't think naviation's a word. Yeah. Naviation. It reminds me of, um. I heard a kid call an aquarium an aquatarium. Ooh, I like that. I liked it. Yeah. But I like naviation. And this is like a suicide mission, but they actually land the the junker plane it's it's he was raking the forest Kryprosser was raking the forest with those technical jargons to mm -hmm. get some kind of excitement here yeah we should point out that the airplane took off okay and then almost immediately well first uh Vylander goes down to have a look at the cargo and he's like hmm what's this and he picks up a piece of aluminum that fell off one of the canisters and he's like ah it's just as I thought and he's horrified and then immediately as far as I can tell the radio explodes so they can't tell the Air Force what's going on. And then one of the engines explodes. And then yes. and then they have to ditch. And they find a meadow in the middle of the mountains. It's a miracle. Ooh. And they have a soft landing. Like they softer than any right to be. They're alive. They're not hurt. <laughs> and then an avalanche. They triggered an avalanche by landing. The poor bastards never had a shot. Not just an avalanche, but they broke because the smooth meadow was actually a lake. It was a frozen lake. And then they land and they're like, we're saved. And then oh, they sink into the lake and the avalanche covers them. And It's the origin story of a MacGuffin. They're gone forever. Yes. But because the radio exploded and uh, one of the engines exploded, that they ha basically had to turn 90 degrees straight south. So they're completely out of their flight path. And the prologue ends with four months later, uh, Bass, who has aged horribly, Gets a call from the president and says, it's time to, you know, we've checked everywhere. They must have ditched in the ocean. Let's call off the search, close the file, bury it. This never happened. Yes. And the president would have been Ike uh, Eisenhower. And he was mentioned. In 88? No, in 54. Ike. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know what year yeah. it is. Yes, 54. <laughs> uh, yes, in 1954, it was Ike. Former President Ike Eisenhower. Let's get busy. Next chapter. We start the book, chapter one, 1988. We're in Clive Carcelor's future. And he's with, he's in a, he's on vacation. Dirk Pitt, our hero, is on vacation with a lovely woman. <laughs> is he getting serious? Is he finally growing up, our Dirk? Uh, this is Lauren Smith. She shows up in almost every book after this, but sort of in like that whimsical ex-girlfriend with benefits kind of a way. Oh, she does not like herself. She takes some abuse <laughs> from this guy. So every book will have a, a Dirk lady, but then every time he's back in Washington for like a chapter, she'll like swing by in her car and pick him up and then stuff will happen off screen. He's yeah. just so goddamn magnetic. Or he, you know, when I would read books like this as an early 20 something or a teen, I would think, you know, being an adult, you can do whatever you want. You could 
travel and just, you know, have multiple, take a lover for the afternoon, never see them again. Now I think about travel and like, as an adult, the reality is, do I don't want to travel. No, I want to stay home. Take a lover. No, absolutely not. I want a Netflix. <laughs> I want a snack. <laughs> I want to play snood on my phone. <laughs> the, the Having a girl in every port scenario seems like a blessing and a curse. I had a note written down for like the very first sentence of this chapter because it ties back into something that you point out every single episode. Chapter one starts with Dirk Pitt released his hold on sleep. <laughs> well, it's something you've got to do. So not only can he only sleep when he's knocked out, but he has to like hold on to it in like a chokehold in order to maintain that state. I think it was your first observation that he's never just sleeping. He's always <laughs> concussed, knocked out, succumbs. Passes out from sheer unbridled manly exhaustion. Or or heroic adulation is the only thing that gets him to sleep. I, <laughs> I, Michael Jackson had the same problem. That's why he had to have that doctor with the propofol. And my other comment was uh, Mr. Cussler is very clearly able to see the future because this is the congresswoman from Colorado, Lauren Smith, and the only congresswoman from Colorado I know of is Lauren Bobert. So that's how I'm going to be picturing her this entire time. Yeah. Always so proud. God bless America. <laughs> I think she was just caught. I, I mix her up with Marjorie Taylor Greene because they're both sensationalists who capitalize on hate speech uh, or just poking the bear. They media poke the bear. That's what they do. Yes. So they're completely interchangeable in my head, looks wise. But one of them was caught in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. That was a- Doing scandalous things. Beetlejuice the musical. Oh, it was a stage performance. Immediately after getting divorced. Divorce is divorce, fine. But she's not 17. <laughs> Get a room. You're con- <laughs> you have a salary. Presumably, she's got a place to live. You'd think so. This is going to be an awkward chapter for me to talk about because most of my family is one room away. <laughs> I'm going to oh, let you talk about it. And I'll just okay. nod along and go, hmm, yes. Well, Lauren uh, Lauren Smith met Dirk. She was at a party. She hates the DC social... social the scene. She hates the scene. Oh, God. The flashback. Right. And she she's at a party and she looks over and she sees Dirk. And she something affects her, like preternaturally. She is struck. And he fills her vision. The only thing in the room is him. She goes up to talk to him. And he says something very typically dark, like, I will seduce you now. Come with me to my car. Yes. This lady goes to a second location with the man she just met and just she just learned his name. You do not go to a second location. This is an important thing to teach your daughters. <laughs> you, just, you just met somebody. Stay public. It even says that she follows obediently. What was happening? They, oh, there was too much <laughs> lead in the water. So she just met him. She completely lost all sense. Sitting congresswoman follows this lunatic what if she's controversial what if she is like a a firebrand <laughs> i don't know what issues colorado was having in 1988 but maybe the he can fix her something with iran contra maybe she had a a, a big take on fawn hall <laughs> you can hear congresswoman you have enemies you don't just get into a car but he falls in love with her so they are an item now and he goes to her cabin and they are enjoying their time together she's never wearing clothes if she's in the cabin nope <laughs> or outside the cabin. Uh, she's lifting heavy things. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's doing small engine repair, uh, carabining, all naked if it's in the cabin. Yeah, he makes her help him load some aircraft equipment into a truck. So she takes off like her underwear first and then helps him do that 
naked outside in Colorado in winter. It was a peignoir. It was a, a peignoir. peignoir. Yes. A peignoir. I remember that because of Lake <laughs> Peignoir, which drained. Oh, yeah. That's a fun, fun engineering disaster. And also, a peignoir is like this fancy kind of nightgown-y thing. They don't make them anymore because <laughs> it's so much clothing for something that's supposed to be uh, <laughs> evocative or, you know, provocative. But it's like wearing a prom dress. Like you are dressed. <laughs> and it is like something you probably ironed because it's very peignoir. Of, it's like chiffon-y or veil-like material. <laughs> Silky, see-through, that kind of thing. So of course you have to take it off because it will get ruined if you're lift, if you're doing small engine repair. True. Or large and or large engine moving. You you dry clean that. It's delicate. Take it off naturally. Dirk wakes up. Lauren's doing naked yoga, and Dirk's first thought is, "You know what? I'm going to go fishing." And he's uh he says that to his girlfriend, and she was gobsmacked, and he was putting her on, and they have a nice <laughs> a nice little back and forth, and she's like, "I never told you where to go fishing." And he goes, oh, you got me. And they <laughs> they find comfort in each other's arms for a while. But Dirk cannot be off the path of adventure for too long. So when she's done with him, he goes wandering her house and scurrying through the basement where he finds aircraft parts that he has determined through Dirkness that they've sheared off through calamity and were not there based on uh, a rummage sale or a thrift shop purchase yeah it's uh scuba gear and nose gear oh yes from some old airplane and he instantly knows you know there's nefariousness afoot and wasn't it like the housing of the one of the engines or no like so i think i think the the nose gear is like the landing gear from the nose portion of it no okay so that's the cone they were yeah that was the cone they were lifting okay yeah that was the big ass piece so and uh this is when Lauren helps him load it into the Jeep. The loading is later on. Right now, he's just the investigating like airplane crashes in the area because chapter two is yes. him talking to the neighbors. Yes. So he's fully invested. He's been intimate with his girlfriend for hours. How much can a man handle? <laughs> now he has a mystery. Is he going to go up and talk? No. Now he's got something to do because he took apart her basement, which is rude. He's a guest. <laughs> no, she wasn't using it. That doesn't. I'm not using lots of things. It doesn't mean you... That's not a reason. That is not a good reason And because I say so. That was Dirk's reason more. <laughs> and Congresswoman alert, like alludes to her father passing years ago, mm -hmm. but gives no detail. We get a bit more detail of that from the neighbors. Uh, yes, we Maxine do. Maxine and Lee Rafferty. Yes. Chapter two, Dirk has to go to the neighbors to find out more about the aircraft parts. And if anybody's going to know, it's going to be the neighbors. Lauren tells him where the neighbors live, and he pays a call to the elderly but fun neighbors, and he okay. goes there for lunch. Turns out he was there right in time. They sit down to a hearty lunch of beans, potato salad, and a meat. Just meat. And he asks no questions, as you do. Well, yeah. It's meat. I This, this here is, I relate to this so much, the social pressure and caving just because it's polite? Yep. That's how I call COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I got to hug people at a funeral. Wait, you have COVID? That poor man, he was exhausted. He just kind of like fell asleep. Every yeah. time he hugged somebody, he was so, but he was lousy with COVID. Yeah. And there was nothing I could do. I was like, okay. 
Here we can't go. really say no politely in that situation. You can't, and neither can Dirk. I love that about him. He's a pussy just like all of us. <laughs> He's like, it's meat. They offered me lunch. They're old. I got to say yes. Old people, of course. But I had a blueberry muffin. I didn't want to eat ones because a southern lady said, eat the muffin. She said it firmly, <laughs> politely, and I ate the muffin. <laughs> Dirk is super nice to old people. Like he's got amazing respect for old people. Everybody about his age, he basically has to beat them up first just a little bit to assert dominance. And then beyond them. And everybody younger than him is a woman and therefore a target. It's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. But for this brief moment, Dirk and I align. And I, I, I can feel him here. <laughs> you had a moment of Dirkness. I did. I really did. But the... The, the Rafferty's are very nice, and they, they talk about poor Charlie and how he blew up. Crazy Charlie. And they only found out. Yeah, poor, crazy Charlie. He was a tinkerer, and a, he tried to invent things, but he never never was successful. He tinkered all day long, but couldn't come up with a product. And after the blast, they only found a boot and a thumb. Yep, but right off the bat, Lee thinks he was murdered because old crazy Charlie was an artillery expert in World War II and wouldn't have blown himself up like that. Regardless of how many people in World War II that blew themselves up. <laughs> True. I, I believe that was a, a a job where there was lots of pink mist exits. That is also one thing about the Dirk books is anybody who was like in the war is just hyper competent. Sure. I guess they lived. Yeah. Well, he's got mad respect for everybody in every branch of the military. Unless Dirk has to make a fool of them. Usually because they're bureaucrats. Oh, Yes. If they, if yes, if they're paper pushers, God, God help them. <laughs> because, because there was that one fat guy from the CIA, and Dirk hated him. But then Dirk shook his hand, and he had a strong <laughs> hand. And then Dirk liked him. Naturally, do the math. <laughs> the but Dirk, Dirk finds out after this revelation of only finding the thumb and boot of his girlfriend's dad, which is this is heavy information. This only happened three years ago. They only found mm -hmm. enough to put into a a matchbox to bury the man. What does he do with this information? Nothing with his girlfriend. No. <laughs> doesn't talk to her about it. Doesn't like buy her flowers. Doesn't plan a nice evening out. He's like, oh, good to know. Moving on. My adventure time. This guy is, it's a good thing he's a main character because he's got the syndrome. <laughs> He'll share the information when he knows more, maybe. Yes. Yeah, so Dirk rudely goes back to his, girlf his girlfriend's cabin. Now, it's not a new girlfriend. At this point, they've been going together several months. <laughs> You uh, missed the the meat revelation. No, oh, oh my God! I thought I did. I I said it in my head, but I forgot. <laughs> it's a podcast. I have to say it out loud. The meat was Rocky Mountain oysters, which are bull testicles, which really is a a, a roundup of agriculture. Like that is far. We have dominated animals <laughs> to the point of you can just have like a bucket of their testicles. I mean, th we are overlords of cows and bulls. We are. We're gods to them. We could just have a bucket of their organs. More testicles mean more iron. Also, if you were served one, I think if you were a guy, you would know what that looks like. Well, you don't really see them from the inside. And it's sliced and cooked? This isn't... Well, if it's pre-sliced, maybe. But every time I see them served up at uh, on cooking shows or like carnival food or something, it's very clearly just a testicle that's been you know, braised or something. Well, I mean, you know, I, I haven't ever seen them. Let me do a quick Google search here. Lala, come with me, your listeners. I'm going to look up Rocky Mountain Oysters. 
Let me find. The thing you're not taking into account is Dirk is very manly, so he can't wear glasses. So from afar, with my prescription that's a bit out of date, that looks like fried calamari. <laughs> Possibly a meatball of some kind. Or khaki fry. It looks like khaki fry. What the hell's khaki fry? Khaki fry is an oyster that's deep fried. Now I have to Google that. With... Oh yeah, kind of. That looks really good, actually. <laughs> it's fantastic. So you've never had Rocky Mountain oysters. I haven't. I haven't been in the same room as them. I haven't, no. I figure someday I will. I'm, I'll be at a carnival or something. Can't turn it down just, deep fried. What an example of a dominance over a species. To just, <laughs> that's a main force. We're eating these purely to demoralize them. It sounds like a type of terrorism. And I'm not like a <laughs> vegan or anything, but that's a lot. So he, yes, he, he finds out they're Rocky Mountain oysters. It's unclear whether he knows what those are or not. We just move right along. Yeah. And now Dirk goes back to his uh, girlfriend's house, her cabin lodge, where there's no phone. Uh, and he goes into the basement, rummages around. She uh, interrupts him wearing her peignoir. And yes, this is where he makes her lift jagged metal in the nude. Yes. <laughs> because Lauren thinks that her dad must have bought it at a scrap sale because the whole house is full of crap he bought at a scrap sale to, tur to turn into inventions. But Dirk's like, no. This was disassembled. This was damaged. This came from a crash. So my notes just say, Dirk loads it into a Jeep, making Lauren help him naked. So during the day, while Lauren's off shopping, because she's so stressed out by Dirk that she has to go shopping. Women be shopping. <laughs> I have underlined women be shopping. And Dirk takes all of this to the airbase to be examined. And <laughs> this is where I also wrote, man, this is a lot slower than the Titanic. It's a lot slower, but it's a lot more... We're getting a bigger peek into who Dirk is as a person. Yeah. And he's as deep as a puddle. I think that they must have gotten notes from the last book that there's almost no Dirk for the first two thirds of Raise the Titanic. And they introduce 37 characters that never come back. So for this one, he's really narrowing his focus and drilling down. And we get Dirk right on page one. Well, pay. And the less people you have in a story, the easier it is to cast for a movie. Cheaper. Oh, right. God, yes. Right, for the movie, right? So he takes it, in chapter four, he takes his debris to an airfield, finds the FAA man on the field. His name is I've, Harvey Dolan, Phil Devine. I have two names written down. Sorry? He first meets with Harvey Dolan, who identifies that it's from a jumbo jet, but then they have to track oh. down the even smarter airplane nerd, Phil Devine. Yes. And Phil says he's going to look up some stuff and get back to you, and... He's like, Pitt's like, hey, if you're going to get back to me, call the Rafferty's, I guess. Because no phone where I am. <laughs> they eventually get the serial number for the Stratocruiser and send it off to Boeing and the National Traffic Safety Board to see if there's any missing Stratocruisers because Dirk is positive this has to come, this has to have come from a crash. Yes. Based on how the metal separated from the rest of the plane, yeah. he's solely determining it came from a crash, which I have messed up projects so bad. I could give him to Dirk and he could be like, this came from the World Trade Tower collapse. This is... <laughs> Costler must not be a, D a DIYer because I am certain any human on earth who's trying to do something can mess it up badly enough to make anything look like it came from an explosion or a plane crash. <laughs> this came from the World Trade Centers and you're like, no, it's my barbecue. Yeah. It's my, my, my kid's second grade project. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not the Ark of the Covenant. It's macaroni art, but it got out of hand. <laughs> As they do. 
That's for the record. I had to help, help an eight-year-old with a collage this week. Collages are crap. Oof. I love you teachers, but collages are not homework. Yeah. They're messy. Yes, they are. Glue sticks. Ah. So, uh, opens chapter five. He's in a helicopter. He's been searching around for the helicopter for so long. He smells awful. He's so, he smells so bad, he smells himself. Which, <laughs> yeah. if you're a human, adult, you know what that means. You are toxic. He is a stinky man. And he's hiring these helicopters with his own money. Yeah. He could just have a talk with his girlfriend. Get to know her better. No, but he's bored already. <laughs> look you just gave me. Listeners, look you <laughs> Topper just gave me. Just out of, are you fucking real? <laughs> Have you met this character before? <laughs> that should be the cover art. That, that picture right there. It's like, the side eye was, it wobbled. The earth wobbled with that side eye. <laughs> We're getting to spend some time in Dirk's head. And, you know, we've made some assumptions over the last three books. I think we're getting some confirmation now. So Dirk's paying for a helicopter from his own money. And he's a government employee. So, you know, he's rigging it in. Uh, but maybe they did mention earlier, they alluded to, he's the famous guy from Raising the Titanic. Maybe he's banked on that. All for, hopefully he's got some money in the bank. Otherwise, all of his adventuring is very expensive. <laughs> And while he's smelling awful and gets off the helicopter, Dolan tried to reach him. So he has to go to the Rafferty, back to the Rafferty's for the phone. And yeah, then he finds but, out. But he only knows that because Dolan used a CB radio to tell a forest ranger to go to Lauren's cabin to tell Dirk to, to go to the Lafferty's to call Dolan. That's how I caught COVID. <laughs> I had to piece that together. <laughs> Thank you for writing that down. I didn't write down that. <laughs> I think I need a chart or a graph. Yep. I had to rewind that one a couple times. Like, okay, how did you get a forest ranger at your house? Who called who? But that's a lot of effort Dolan's taking. You got the world before for cell phones was quite a place. Mm -hmm. it, it still is. Cause you, might not, you, you might not get cell service out there. He is interested because uh, word came back that the aircraft, the serial number was military. So they have to go through the Air Force. And he says, Colonel Abe Steiger will contact you. So we're getting another hyper-competent military person to get in touch with, with Dirk. Yes, and then um, Dirk goes back to the cabin, changes into a jaunty short-sleeved sweater. Short-sleeved sweater. Guys, what was happening? Are you okay? You froze. Okay, <laughs> now you're back. <laughs> I was, hey. I was uh, working on a witty retort night, and I just like completely blue screened because I was thinking about the other fashions at the time. When I'm thinking about men, what were you, what were you thinking? Uh, the Rocky Three scene of them running on the beach in these l little tiny pink half tees and short shorts, which is one of the most famously cringe moments in all of Rocky history. And that was the manliest <laughs> scene in the manliest movie of the manliest decade. Oh, just like Top Gun with volleyball. Tom Cruise feel clear in the locker room in the It's up there with Top Gun for... Oh, and all the rockers. <laughs> Accidentally gazed scene. They were so manly. Poison? <laughs> I, I, I was about to bring up poison. Yeah. <laughs> <The> <laughs> so masculine. So many jokes about that. There just makes sexuality a spectrum. And we're all on the spectrum, folks. In the 80s, everyone was gay and didn't know it. Yep. And that was fine. I wanted to marry Cindy Lauper. My parents were horrified. But then I told them I wanted to marry Michael Jackson. They were also not pleased. <laughs> it was a different time. Smart parents. Well, no. Not for that reason. 
<laughs> so I had a just a a, uh, a short note written down here at the end of chapter five that he's doing weird things with POV because like all these chapters will be through Dirk's point of view, but then there will just be a couple of paragraphs through somebody else's point of view, how they're thinking about Dirk and usually how like they're annoyed with him. Because we get a couple of paragraphs with Lauren, who's annoyed with him. We get a couple of paragraphs with Dolan, who gets goosebumps from Pitt's dead tomb-like voice. Does he echo? when he Tomb-like voice. Does he built an like, echo? Just a few paragraphs in other people's minds to see how <laughs> see how horrified they are. Yes, he, he has reverb. That would be metal if he did. <laughs> Even more metal is chapter six starts off with Dirk saying, it could be I'm going psycho. Yeah, he's not already there. Can't be. And his girlfriend takes him, to, like, seduces him. They have a nice couple's night. They do the grown-up things, and he says, "He," she says to him, "We'll fly back to DC in the morning. Let's have a good last night." And he basically pats her on the head and thinks to himself, "Yeah, sure we are, Tuts. We're both going back tomorrow." No, he's already planning to stay at her cabin, presumably rent-free. You know, yeah. skating social norm of the relationship yeah it's just like you go back to washington do your little government job i'm gonna stay here and do manly things he puts her he sends her back like it's up yeah. to him she has to go back <laughs> but they write in the book he sends her back oh this is my favorite part so far chapter seven. Oh no <laughs> my notes uh start with uh-oh we're accelerating <laughs> everything comes to an end so might as well get there faster <laughs> Colonel Steiger comes to the captain. Yes. And he's big and he's round and tall and later on. He's a barrel shaped walrus man. Yes. Pitt just says, Come in, Steiger. Nice to meet you. This is the military FAA version, the counterpart for the FAA nerd. This is the military version of that. He knows everything about planes. He's very hyper competent, as you said, and he likes gold panning. He is a colonel. He. He vastly outranks uh, Major Pitt, although Major yes. Pitt doesn't pull rank in this, so far at least. Brett Steiger has always wanted to go to the Rocky Mountains, so instead of sending a telegram or a Ouija board message, I don't know how you would reach people, <laughs> a letter. Ted the man. Instead of sending mail, classic mail. <laughs> Steiger, look, hey, I want to go on vacation, so I'm going to head out to you. I have no plans. I didn't make any arrangements. So he gets there and he's like, can I, can I bunk here? Perth's like, not my house. Sure. Come on in. <laughs> in his defense, Steiger is somewhat interested because he, he got uh, the information on that serial number for the Stratocruiser. So he, he comes up with the file on the Vixen 03 in Violander. And the file is suspicious. I, I know he comes with goodies. He comes with in, in intelligence. He comes with the files. But anybody could come with the files. That could be John Wayne Gacy. He, John Wayne Gacy <laughs> made great fried chicken. Nobody ever said otherwise. I would eat his fried chicken. I wouldn't let him sleep in my house. <laughs> Probably sensible. And Dirk's like, no problem. Come on in. In the morning, Dirk goes plane hunting again. Uh, but he's run out of helicopter money for today. So when he's out just walking, he comes across Steiger in the Colorado Rockies, which I guess is just like the size of a parking lot if they could stumble across each other. <laughs> uh, Pitt's looking for a plane. The other guy, is, Roman, is panning for gold. Naturally, they'd come to the same part of the universe. And then Dirk announces things float. <gasps> things can float what does that have to do with the plot let us find out as somebody who lives right near barkerville which is where the first major gold rush was in canada and has done all the gold panning trips with school and whatnot 
Uh, gold panning is boring as fuck, and I can't imagine anybody would do that for fun. But I guess it is a rustic thing to do. Dude, your cat needs 75 hugs a day to yep. be <laughs> to be loved enough. She keeps coming back. And then if I pet her <laughs> wrong, the claws come out. And if I leave her alone, she starts drooling on me. So it's just, it's a, a balancing act. <laughs> so it's, that is very, that is very much a balancing act. Is it going to be pain or a mess? But then Dirk announces things float. Oh my God. What are the, the, the objects he found in the basement? Those are things that can float. It, this plane must be underwater. And that's why those objects came to be discovered. And yep. ultimately in the possession of girlfriend's blown up dad. And that's why the crash was never found. I was going to say, that's one of the bits of information we get from the file from Steiger. The file on the Vixen 03 says it took off from California and was flying to Hawaii. So why the fuck would it be in the Colorado mountains? So uh, right off the bat, we the reader know that the file is wrong because they took off from Colorado. And the search area for it was much, much, much larger than normal, which they would only do if it was a really important airplane, but there is nothing indicating that it was carrying anything important. So Steiger's suspicious. Dirk has gut knowledge that this is all top secret stuff. So he's super dedicated now. Yes. And chapter eight, Al comes in. Yes. Al flies in and to everybody's surprise, Ape Steiger and Al are exactly the same size and shape. <laughs> they really I go into detail loud. on that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he knows because he's always doing somebody's big, somebody's tall, somebody has blonde hair, somebody has black hair. Yeah. These two exactly the same. He That was a joke for all of us, probably particularly for his editor. And I appreciate that. They're exactly the same, except for Al is a swarthy Italian and Steiger has a Semitic nose. Naturally, they have to be resting on the shoulders of stereotypes. Yes. <laughs> but he flies in. <laughs> on a Catlin M200, which is like a squat plane designed for landing and taking off in impossible places with heavy cargo, like uh, lakes and stuff. And I had to do a bunch of Googling to find out that he made this shit up. This this plane doesn't exist. And Cussler always uses- Him, real... he's, a, he's a fiction writer. It's a make him up. He can make anything up. Yeah, but he always I uses- goes with anything. <laughs> he always uses real cars, real boats, real planes. Like he shows his research constantly and for this one he's just like no i made this one up you know all of us have bad days. he's allowed to absolutely i'm just saying it was it, it, it was odd you were petting your cat just now it looked like you were i couldn't see the cat but i know you were petting your cat it looked like you were <laughs> taking, rotating something rotating like your head was coming off <laughs> right is that what exactly I that is Look that that's why she looks angry cat abuse cat abuse yeah okay and this guy steiger abe honest abe here Abraham Steiger is scandalized, as he should be. He's like, that's a government plane. What? What? <laughs> and Dirk and Al like, laid, laid down how they're, they just put a lot of government resources, both time, money, and equipment. That's a three things. Yeah, both. He, all of those things <laughs> together. <laughs> all three, both of those things. Yes. Uh, and Abe is like, I'm going to be an accomplice. This is grand larceny. This is huge government stealing badness. This is major federal crimes. Yes. And Dirk and just says, not like, if we get away with it. it. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. And I was like, oh my God, this is how every government works. Not if you get away with it. Yep. 
And oh, yes, I have a highlighted section here because this Ooh. is how Al has to describe to Steiger the kind of man Dirk is. Oh, and he yes. Says, Let's just say Pitt, Pitt has a ton of balls, the brains to go with them, and the uncanny knack of knocking the shit out of any obstacle, man-made or otherwise, that gets in his way. He has a soft touch for kids and animals and helps little old ladies up escalators. Why? It's escalating. <laughs> <clears throat> to my knowledge, he's never stolen a dime in his life nor used his sly talents for personal gain. Beyond all that, he's a hell of a guy. His mother wouldn't say that many sentences about me. <laughs> Al is in love. And they just wish they could be together. This unrequited nonsense. <laughs> this is obscene, Cat. Have some dignity. <laughs> Look how smug she looks. That is so smug. All right. And here's where I have to leave you because I have to take a teenager to a mall. Okie dokie. Well, we will end it here. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will tune in next week when they go fishing and find an airplane. Yes, let's find out in what other ways can Dirk avoid relationship issues. <laughs> so wow. many ways. Or self-introspection. Maybe nuclear arms comes into it. Anything before <laughs> that. Good night. Bye. That's chapter 10. Bye. This has been Custler Hustlers. Your hosts have been Topper and Nancy. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Custler Hustlers.